Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to the late-breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. My name is Ben Hocking, Sam Sage is here, Harry Eid staying away. We'll have him back at some point we think, but not quite yet. We'll, we'll save you that for one more week. It's been a while since the three of us have been been on a podcast. It's the third consecutive one where one of us hasn't been here. I mean, considering that what, we've done this in a serious manner for pretty much a year this month now, and I think you could probably count the amount of times that one of us has been away on, you know, less than both your fingers, all your ha- all your fingers on both hands. And now it's happened three weeks in a row. It's very strange uh, just being a duo. And, I mean, Harry's missed out on some great banter. That's all I can say. You know, there's been some big moments that Mr. E needs to get back here for. So, Harry, if you are bored of Ibiza and Sung and having a nice time, then maybe you should come back to wet England and speak to your two very sad best friends who just like to look at a screen talk about F1. Make it happen. Sounds good to me. And more than anything, I just want Harry's valuable input to come back to the podcast because that's what I really miss the most. Also, I'm a bit tired of editing the the podcast. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I mean, if Harry brings anything, and if Harry's got like kind of a renowned name, it is short, concise answer, Eid. You know, the man knows how to deliver a very to-the-point and very definite answer. Also, he does do all of our podcast editing, and he's very good at it. So, please come back. We'll have to uh, sit on the fence for Mr. Reed tonight with our topics that we've got. Plenty to discuss, as ever. Charles Leclerc looks set to extend his Ferrari stay until the end of 2026. We'll be discussing if that's a good move for both parties. 
Aston Martin, currently seventh in the championship, not enjoying a good year. So we'll be discussing where it's all gone wrong for them and whether they can turn it around at least somewhat this season. Uh, and we'll play a game of F1 fill in the blank to round us off. But first of all, uh, all of the pieces in the 2021 driver market are now coming together. We know the Williams lineup of Albon and Latifi. We know Perez is sticking around. We know Russell finally is getting that Mercedes seat with Bottas going to Alfa Romeo. It means that there aren't that many pieces left to actually be decided. But one of them is who is going to be Valtteri Bottas' teammate at Alfa Romeo. Now, we know it's not going to be Kimi Raikkonen. He's retiring at the end of this season. But the question remains, who will it be? Will it be Antonio Giovinazzi, who is, of course, in the seat at the moment? Or will it be someone else? Will it be Nick DeVries? Will it be Guan Yu Zhou? Will it be someone else entirely? So, Sam, rather than looking at what you think is going to happen, I want to know what you think should happen. Oh, that's boring. What do you mean what should happen? Okay, what should happen? This is different to what I think will probably happen. But what should happen is Giovinazzi has... Started driving like primetime Michael Schumacher over the last two Grand Prix. Um, and he's put in ridiculous qualifying performances. And he's actually decided that he has a car capable of Q3, which is crazy. But do I think it's enough? No. So therefore, I think what should happen is that Giovinazzi is unfortunately relegated to the test driver, or whatever you want it to be. His F1 career, for now anyway, is done. So, therefore, it comes down to the likes of F2 drivers or ex-F2 drivers. Guan Yu Zhou, uh, Callum Eilots, who's been throwing around a little bit. And, of course, Nick DeVries, who is the current Formula E world champ. Um, and ex-Formula 2 world champ, of course. Uh, and there are some big names there. There are some talented drivers there. So, what do I think should happen? It doesn't really matter. That's what I think happens. Then, I just don't see Alfa Romeo being a top team. So, I think that, realistically... They go for Guan Yu Zhou. They should go for Guan Yu Zhou due to the financial implications that they can bring to that team. If Zhou can essentially pay for himself with the budget cut that comes in, that frees up way more budget to allow them for development, which boosts boosts them up the field. To me, that makes sense. That's what should happen if I have my business mind on. But if I'm going to talk about racing expertise, if we're going to talk about people that have gone out and achieved something, Nick DeVries feels like it should be the safe option. He's someone that's gone and won a championship. He's already won the championship that is the FIGA series. He's had time to develop. Uh, it puts the relationship with Mercedes in a very good spot, which Alfa Romeo is slightly hinting that they might want. Um, so in a realistic sense, that also should happen. Whatever Alfa Romeo do, though, I have absolutely no idea. I don't think I've seen a team have so many blimmin' options for a new season seat as Alfa Romeo have had. You know, I thought Williams had a lot. Alfa Romeo have got about nine drivers they could possibly take on. It's quite crazy. So, um, for me, yeah, financially, it should be Zhao. Grand Yu Zhou? should be Zhou, sorry. Uh, in terms of experience, it should be Nick DeVries. That's where my head is at, Benjamin. What do you think? Um, before I say, I, I'm actually interested to know, Sam, who you think it will be. Because I want to I, I want to see if these answers are very different before I give my view on both of them as well. I, there's a difference between who I think it should and who I want it to be. Um, who, I you've think, got, you've got £10 in your back pocket. You're not yeah. allowed to, you're not allowed to spend it on gingerbread men. You have oh. to, unfortunately, I, I mean, it's a great buy, but you've got to put it on who is going to be the second Alfa Romeo driver. Walk, I walk into your local bookies out in London town. Hello, yeah, it's me, Sam, the London town boy. 
uh, I'd like to buy one gingerbread man and a Nick DeVries for a tenger, please. Nick DeVries. Yeah, also, that's who I think I mean, gets it. You're insinuating that one gingerbread is therefore worth nothing. That's that's no, not wrong. No, I'm insinuating that Nick DeVries is worth nothing. Oh, okay, that's all right then. Uh, if, if you're insulting Nick DeVries, I can I can allow it even if I don't agree with it. Gingerbread men, that's where across that's where the lines crossed. I can't do it. Look, I had to I had to pick someone in that analogy to insult, and I can't insult a gingerbread man. I'm sorry. Nick DeVries in every other scenario, bloody lovely. Absolutely love him. But when it comes to gingerbread men, Nick DeVries, I'm sorry. Not today. Harry's gonna be proud, isn't he? <laughs> he'd, he'd, he'd edit all this out, but good yep. good thing, folks. I don't I can't be bothered to, so you'll get He's all of it. Staying in. That is also a massive joke. You, you literally get like everything that, that we say, all of our ridiculousness, yeah. even if you don't ask for it. Um, it. From my view, actually, the second Alfa Romeo seat is very dependent on the already confirmed Alfa Romeo seat. I think there are a few uh, considerations that they need to take on board, which I think will impact their decision. So uh, there's three, um, to be precise. So firstly, Valtteri Bottas is an experienced driver. He is a veteran of the sport. He's been in Formula One for, oh, this must be his ninth season possibly in Formula One. So he's been around longer than nearly everyone. There's only a few drivers that have more experience than him at this point. I think that that's a factor. Second factor in this is that whilst he is definitely experienced, he is walking into a brand new team. He has never used a Ferrari power unit. He has no connection to Alfa Romeo at the moment. That, for me, is a factor. Um... And then thirdly, actually, the, the, the contract itself. So Valtteri Bottas is on a multi-year deal with Alfa Romeo. Now, we don't know, or at least I don't I know, know. where this is going already. At least I don't know whether that's a two-year deal or a three-year deal. I think it's probably one or the other. I would guess it's a two-year deal. But it's a multi-year deal, nonetheless. Which, again, I think is a factor. So if we look at all of those individually. So firstly, he's experienced. The fact that he is experienced would give a thumbs up to everyone who isn't in Formula One who would be a rookie. You don't want to put two rookies alongside each other. You don't want to put a rookie alongside a one-year driver. You want to put, ideally, a rookie alongside an experienced driver. Bottas is experienced, so all of the, the likes Guan Yu Zhou, Nick De Vries, Theo Pochette, all of those guys, that's definitely a, a mark for them. If you were then to look at um, that, the fact that he's new to Alfa Romeo, that massively helps Antonio Giovinazzi because he would be that continuation on from this year. Now, you could argue that because it's a brand new car, that actually that means a lot less from 21 to 22 compared to other years. And I, I would have time for that argument. And I think you'd be right. But still, there, there is that element of knowing the team. And I think if you look at what Haas have done, it's not successful yet, that's for sure. But they did the double switch. They brought in Mazepin and Schumacher. But they did so in a year where it didn't really matter whether they were good or bad because the car's so bad, they could never take advantage of it. Now, next year, if they have another bad car, it's going to mean absolutely nothing. But if they do have something more competitive, theoretically, year two Schumacher and Mazepin are going to be better than year one Schumacher and Mazepin. And then the third thing is the two-year deal. I, I, I'm i going to compare this to the Alpine situation. So you remember Esteban Ocon got a long-term deal earlier in the year. I was 100% against this because I felt that it restricted Alpine. Not not saying Ocon's a bad driver, 
but it just limited their options massively. And I think signing two drivers to a multi-year deal would leave them in a very similar situation. Now, Bottas, I think, is going to work at Alfa Romeo, and I think it's a fantastic pickup for both parties. But there's no guarantee. And if that doesn't work, they are tied into that contract for two, maybe three years. They can't afford for that to be the case for two drivers where they can't bring up a, a rookie that they really want. You know, look at Alpine. Oscar Piastri, there is a chance, will win F3 and F2 in back-to-back -back years at the first time of trying. And he is not going to be in an Alpine next year because of the fact that they've got two drivers locked in. Look at the last two drivers that did that achievement. Piastri hasn't done it yet, but he could well do. Look at the last two did it. Russell and Leclerc, they're pretty good. And Piastri's not going to have that chance because of the contract situation. With all that in mind, what I think should happen and what I think will happen are exactly the same in that I think that they should keep Antonio Giovinazzi for one more year. Now, earlier on in the year, I was on this train of thought, but I actually thought it should be Raikkonen who did that did that job instead, just because I think Raikkonen would be a bit more suited to the one-year deal than, say, Giovinazzi. But I think for the sake of continuation... And, you know, if Giovinazzi comes out next year and he has an absolutely brilliant year, fine. Have him for a few more years. But he's got the opportunity at that point and you're not tied in for more years after that. So that's that's what I would go for. No disrespect to the likes of Nick DeVries or Eilert, who I think would do a fine job, but they don't have the experience in Formula One that Giovinazzi has. And I still believe that Alfa Romeo are eyeing up Teo Porsche to go in that seat. But look at what's happened with Yuki Tsunoda this year. I think he still needs one more year in F2. This way of doing it would allow for that. Funny enough, and I think you make a very, very good argument on all points. I, I at one point, and keen-eared listeners will have noticed that I said um, there is a difference between who I think should and who I want to go in that seat. And um, let's just say a couple of those F2 rookies are who I would love to actually go in that seat. Um, Piastri, if he could broker a deal in some fashion with Alpine that allows him to race in that seat, I think he deserves, especially if he wins that championship, thoroughly deserves an F1 seat, and I'd love to see him in it. And um, Teo share if he can get the drive, um, again, I think he deserves it less than Piastri at the moment, but Piastri has a harder route to get there. Pusher definitely has an easier route to get there. Uh, I would very much like to see him in that seat as well. And actually, they would be my two preferred picks for the seat if I have the fantasy world where I got to decide what went on. But Giovinazzi, as much as I think he is, um, he's doing all right, isn't he? I mean, I don't know if I think he's earned enough for another whole season, but with the regulation changes, with Kimi leaving, with a new head coming into the team, it does make sense to the argument that you've given. So I understand why you've gone, Gio. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't even disagree with what you've said there in terms of I don't think he's done enough for another, for another year. I, I agree. I don't think he has. I think he's just going to benefit thanks to the situation and how it's unfolded. Um, you know, Raikkonen retiring, Bottas on a multi-year deal, brand new to the team. It feels like it's it's written for Giovinazzi to have one more year. And like I say, if it gives him an opportunity. Like, And they're not tied in either way. If Bottas comes in next year and wipes the floor clean of Giovinazzi, you can say, OK, goodbye, off to hypercars for you, sunshine. Or if he does a good job, you can say, OK, well, you're doing a great job for us. Stay another year. Why not? Gives you the flexibility. I mean... As as Labyrinth Feet Tiny Temper once said, oh, it's written in the stars. Um, and that drive might not be a million miles away. I never thought I'd get a Labyrinth line into a late-breaking 
podcast. Well, there we go, folks. It's happened. Another niche British artist reference. Well, you know us. The seasons come and go, but we will never change. We're on our way. <laughs> I'm quite impressed, Ben. Well done for getting that second part in. No problem at all. I mean, if, you've, if you've got no idea what that song is, that, that has flown completely over your head. But if you do know, you're going to be loving it. Yeah, I mean, definitely if you haven't heard it and you like a little bit of um, British R&B slash rap, um, go and give it a listen. To be fair, it's a bit of a bop. Not usually my usual style, but oh, it's a corker. It's a good one. Written in the stars, it's called. It's a, a really, really good song. Anyway, back to the F1 stuff <laughs> immediately. Written in the stars and gingerbread men and we are 14 <laughs> minutes and 30 seconds in. Come on, bring it on. Um, oh, good Lord. Just out of interest on those options, because there were there were quite a few F2 drivers mentioned there. Yeah. There are a lot of names. If we're looking at, let's say, Nick DeVries and Callum Isla as, as two, just to pick those out, n- none of neither have any experience in Formula One. How do you how do you potentially choose between those guys? Um, you have to go on past results, past experience in other areas that makes sense. If you look at F2 to start with, Callum Isla did not win F2. He didn't get the victory. He was beaten by Schumacher, who has displayed fair competence, I would say, this season. He's definitely not being, you know, a, a standout driver. It's very really hard to be in that car, to be fair. I can't really diss him too much. But, you know, he's outdone his teammate by quite a large margin. And he's been good, not brilliant. You know, he's got good good development in him, I think. Um, I like, did not win F2. Nick DeVries did win F2. So I really think that's one point to, um, to DeVries. Now, if you look outside of the classic figure series into Formula 1... Who would you argue has been more successful? Well, Eilat had that podium in the WEC series, which is great, but is it directly applicable? It's not single-seater racing, although it does show good racecraft, but Nick DeVries is going to become another, the first world champion of a uh, another series that, okay, has lots of differences, okay, he's probably a little bit slower overall, but... It's close contact racing, it's wheel to open wheel racing, it's single-seater, and has a relationship with a lot of the families and involvement that are also in Formula 1. I just think that, unfortunately for Callum Eilat, all things just tilt Nick DeVries' way. Um, Callum Eilat's a very solid driver. I just think he's come at a very unfortunate time where we're in a bit of a golden generation of talent and there aren't enough seats. And he hasn't got massive financial backing like Guan Yu Zhou has to maybe unsettle the apple cart a little bit. So for me, Nick DeVries just gets the, uh, the nod on the head. Yeah, I think I'd probably agree with you, to be honest. I don't think there's much in it, but yeah, based on Nick DeVries having won two very respectable championships, I think you'd have to go uh, in his direction. Now, you know, Nick DeVries, I, I've I've said before that I don't think he's going to be up there, or if, if he does get to F1, I don't think he would be up there with, with the elite, um, and I don't think that'd be the case for Eilert either, but I think of those two, just because of those accolades, I would also go with DeVries. I mean, uh, one last question on this. So if you're unaware, Jensen Button, um, world champion in Formula One, had a very successful career for about 15 years or so. If you're unaware, the way in which he got into Formula One was via a shootout. Essentially, he went up against Bruno Junquiera um, in a Williams at a test in what would have been, I guess, 1999 or possibly early 2000. Um, They put them against each other. Button was quicker, so Williams gave him the seat and, you know, the rest was history and and Button went on to win a world championship. So, Sam, we don't usually see that sort of thing, should we? I would love 
to see that sort of thing. I the way that test drivers they played a very more it felt like they played a more instrumental role um, in Formula One kind of in the late nineties, early two thousand. You saw them feature a lot more and. They were not. They were the test driver was also often your reserve driver. So if there was a problem, they would step in. And that, that's not the only story where we've had some kind of shootout or direct comparison between test drivers and maybe a second driver or a rookie driver. I would one hundred percent love some kind of, I don't know, past F one car Alfa Romeo possibility race. You know, where they put all of them, all the six or seven different names. On a grid, you got a qualifying lap, and maybe you did a 15-lap race, and we just sent them off. No pit stops. Whoever comes out on top gets the seat. Um, it shows racecraft. It shows one-lap pace. It shows your ability for to you know pace yourself and make sure that you can do wheel-to-wheel racing. To me, why would you not? It's almost like a, a practice match for a football game. It makes total sense. Also, televise it. I want to watch it. So there you go. 100%. Do that more. It would absolutely be so entertaining. I, I think it's pretty unrealistic for nowadays, which is a shame. But yeah. televise, like you say, televise it. That would be crazy. I would be yeah. all on board. All I'd on love Bookie's odds. I would love to see, you know, um, fans turn up for it. I'd love to see kind of the, 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 the history of each driver to see how they might get there. You could do a whole thing about it. I'm well up for it. Ben, you put that idea in my mind and now I really, really want it. Like ice cream. Love that as well. Thank you, Bruno Vigera. What a guy. Um, what a guy. We'll move on to Charles Leclerc. We're going to discuss him next. Um, he's got to deal with Ferrari until the end of 2024 as it stands. Uh, and as we record this right now, there are heavy rumours that he will actually extend that time. So he will go until the end of 2026. So a number of years into the future. Do you think this would be a good move, firstly, for the driver? Do you think this would be good for Leclerc? No, 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 no. Charles Leclerc, you are brilliant. There's a reason why we call you God Leclerc. Yes, it's a bit of a fun, you know, it's a bit of fun, a bit silliness, but, you know, you have backed yourself time and time again. I backed you the moment you went into that Ferrari seat and I said you'll beat Sebastian Vettel and you did it. And I've got a lot of respect for Sebastian Vettel. I really rate Sebastian Vettel very highly. But you came in and you beat a four-time world champ in his team, in a new car for yourself, in the first season. Ferrari need Charles Leclerc more than Charles Leclerc needs Ferrari. And I know that Leclerc has had this this dream, you know, linked with the Hubert situation, linked with his dad, who, if you don't know the story, his father passed away. And um, just before his father passed away, Leclerc lied to his dad and said, I've been signed by Ferrari to give him that, you know, that final little boost before, unfortunately, he passed away. But then he was obviously, as you now know, signed by Ferrari, which is a very romantic story. You know, it's, it's very wonderful that that was able to happen and, and that, that kind of false truth became a truth. Um, so I think Charles Leclerc has a real romantic association with Ferrari. I think he loves being with Ferrari. Do I think that he needs to extend that contract now to 2026? No way, Jose! If you continue with this talent, which I believe he comfortably will, if you continue putting in the results, which again, I believe you comfortably will, if you continue to gel with the team as he has, which there's no reason why he wouldn't, then why not give it at least one more year in the new regulations? Why not see what this cut of payment actually does for the team? Why not see what the transition in facilities and regulations and how the car's going to act and maybe your new teammate in a couple of years' time might be? Because... 2026 is a long time away. What, five years until that season is going? 
Five years ago, the people of the United Kingdom were still voting on Brexit. Bloody hell, you know, crazy times. So a lot can happen in five years. And I think that realistically, for Charles Leclerc, this is a silly thing to do. At least give yourself one season in the new regs before you make that decision. It's not like he's going anywhere. It's not like they're going to turf him out in 12 months if they don't, if he hasn't signed the deal. The guy is comfortably in that seat and deserving of a, of a great seat in F1. So I think this is rash. I think they are. I think Ferrari know that they need to push him to lock down things further because someone might pinch him in a couple of years' time. But um, it makes sense for Ferrari. For Charles Leclerc, take your time, son. You've got plenty of time to barter and make sure you're in the right place. I mean, just to expand on that from Ferrari's perspective, this isn't necessarily in line with how they dealt with star drivers before. It's not how they dealt with, with Schumacher or Alonso or even Vettel. But it seems to be they've gone for a different tack with, with Leclerc in trying to secure him for a long time. They already have done that and just want to do that even more. Why do you think Ferrari are treating this differently? I think Ferrari have had such a a, a drought of success. And I think maybe even more so than Vettel, who I think was brilliant at Ferrari, especially for those those couple of seasons where it looked like Ferrari could challenge Mercedes. I think Vettel at that point was the only person you could put in that Ferrari which could challenge Hamilton and the Mercedes team. And I think for the most part, he was he did as much as he could. That Ferrari was never really going to make it to the end of the season, especially under the when you're up against the hands of uh, Lewis Hamilton and that ever-evolving Mercedes. But I think Charles Leclerc is what he was the youngest Ferrari driver they've signed in God knows how many years. I'm sure being a stat man, you could tell me how long it was. Um, but I think that's what they want to hold on to. I think they've taken that commitment. They, they took one risk in signing Charles Leclerc and they realised, hang on a minute, we've got something here. Let's give it a go. Let's see how it goes. And it has paid off for them massively. Now what, Charles Leclerc is in his early mid-twenties. So he could be a Ferrari driver if they get things right for at least, what, 10, 12 more years? That's a long time to build a team around someone. And Schumacher was able to do it. And I think they see a lot of Schumacher in Charles Leclerc. And as long as he can continue to build that team, make sure the culture works for him, be the focus and the centre of attention, they are solid. They have one seat to worry about, whether Carlos Sainz goes somewhere else or doesn't perform or doesn't stick around. Or maybe they fulfil the other fantasy in Formula 1 that is a Schumacher back to Ferrari. It can happen. They know that they've got a dependent other side of the garage that is incredibly quick, is incredibly reliable, and works for them perfectly. So, for Ferrari, you're clever, I think, if you sit there and you get this locked down. If you work this out and you get it locked down, someone at Ferrari has made a very solid deal for that team for the next five, six seasons. Uh, I, just in terms of youngest driver, definitely the youngest since Jackie X back in the late 60s. I think it might go even further back to Ricardo Rodriguez, but I'm not sure on that. Um, I'll, uh, anyway. I'll give you a, uh, a, a stack, man. Yeah, I, I don't deserve more than that. I'm a bit too unsure. Um, but your point remains, regardless of which one it is. Um, so you kicked off that by um, answering the question, is this a good move for Leclerc with no, 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 no. And I think you gave about maybe 25 no's, something along those lines. Yeah, 25 to 100. Allow me to add another thousand for you. Um, <laughs> I am very much in agreement with you on this, and I cannot for the life of me make any sense of it. What has Leclerc been given by Ferrari at this point that should fill him with confidence? Well, in 2019, yep. they had an all right-ish car that was 
perfectly legal for a few races when it did really well. Had some great, very, very legal wins, I would call them. Legal, yes. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong Correct with the car word. at all. Um, but apart from that, didn't. It, it was a fine car, but it didn't compete for wins outside of those few weeks where, again, it was legal. Um, 2020, uh, the less said about 2020, the better. Pretty much their worst season for 40 years. The, it was an atrocious car. And 2021, you could say, well, they've really improved this year. They've made a massive step forward. Yeah, based on where they were last year, which, again, was their worst year in about 40 years. So yeah. if you're doing it comparatively, fine. But really, it's still not a very good year based on the amount they spend, based on their heritage. They're battling with McLaren for third. It's not what they're looking for. So in nearly three years, what have they done to convince him that they are going to be successful for a long time coming. There's, there's nothing to suggest that that's the case. And they want, and he wants to extend for two more years? That, that just seems absolutely baffling to me. And as you've already mentioned, Sam, regulation changes are around the corner. Now, is there a chance that Ferrari turn up in 2022 and they are the best car? Sure, we don't really know what's going to happen, but okay, there might be a slight chance that's going to happen. But I tell you what, there's a much bigger chance that isn't going to happen. And if he signs this deal and it doesn't happen, he's got to be pretty worried for the next few years because at that point he's kind of trapped. Unless, and this is the big caveat in all this, unless he's got some sort of performance dropout clause in his contract. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But if that doesn't exist, then he's stuck there for like five years. And it's not like you can look back to, oh, let's look back to the last time that the regulations changed massively. Look how well Ferrari dealt with that. 2014 that didn't go very well um if you're unaware of that season fernando alonso managed to scrape a few fourth places and fifth places because he's fernando alonso i think kimi raikkonen might have finished like 12th or something ridiculous like that on the year if it weren't for 2020 it would have been their worst year again probably since 1980 um it was an atrocious year they did not deal with regulation changes well at all so that shouldn't give you any confidence that they're going to figure it out. But it almost doesn't matter if they figure it out or not. Why not just wait and see? <laughs> At least give it, like I say, give it a year. See how it goes. Then make your decision because that makes sense. When we talk about Valtteri Bottas and we've spoken before how he gets these one-year deals and he's always pushing for that multi-year deal. And we're, we're always saying, yes, he should push for that multi-year deal, regardless of whether we think he deserves it or not. He should absolutely push for it because he needs that security. Because, no offence to Valtteri Bottas, but he was always slightly punching above his weight with the seat that he was getting. Charles Leclerc is not in that scenario. Charles Leclerc is incredibly talented. Not saying Bottas isn't, but Charles Leclerc is constantly outperforming the car. He's beat Sebastian Vettel in two years out of two. He's proven himself as a definitely a championship contender. For me, he has the potential to go on and win a championship and maybe even multiple championships. So the onus is really on him. Like, it's not on Ferrari. Like you say, are you summed it up best with, with one of your sentences there? He doesn't need Ferrari as much as Ferrari need him. Um, yeah, they have a few options outside of him, but none as good as him. And... You could say at this point, well, he might as well secure his future at Ferrari because there isn't going to, nothing else will open up. You know, Mercedes have got a new driver in, Red Bull have secured. He's not going to get a better chance. Well, actually, first of all, five years is a long time in Formula One. So there's that to start with. Second of all, Mercedes. 
we don't know when Lewis Hamilton's going to retire. Who is the obvious successor to Lewis Hamilton? There isn't one. There isn't a Mercedes Junior coming through where you're like, okay, when, when Hamilton retires, it'll be Russell and this guy. There is no obvious contender. Why not? Why not Charles Leclerc be in the mix when that is the case? Similarly with Red Bull. First of all, they've already proved that they will hire externally because Perez is in the seat. Second of all, Perez isn't exactly thriving at the moment. If he goes away and they're still not convinced that Gasly's the right driver, they've got to go with someone again. Why shouldn't it be Charles Leclerc? These options, maybe they're, they're only slight openings. Maybe they don't open at all. But if you sign long-term with Ferrari, that's taken away anyway, so it's completely irrelevant. I, I'm 100% with you on this. Ferrari, let, can we just remember here, Ferrari haven't won a championship in 14 years. I understand wow. the heritage. I understand what comes with that drive. But he's not a veteran driver looking for his last payday. This is an up-and-coming driver looking for championships. It's a completely different scenario. They haven't won in 14 years. I haven't seen a right lot recently that makes me think that's going to come to an end anytime soon. For going to say, a team that technically doesn't exist anymore and hasn't existed for a decade won a championship more recently than <laughs> Ferrari. Thank you, Braun. Come on. Um, I, I think this would be a pretty awful move from his perspective. From Ferrari's perspective, yeah, sign him up because... I tell you what, not only is he a great driver, they are probably looking at signing him up on a, not a cheap deal, but let's just say, for example, he's on one-year deals and he wins the world championship. He's going to want world championship money the year after. If they secure his, you know, his payments now until 2026, they probably don't have to pay him that world championship money that he would deserve at that point. So from Ferrari's perspective, it's win, win, win. Um... On that, folks, Ferraris was a very touchy subject. So there's a lot of diehard Tifosi, which we totally understand. They've been around the longest. It makes sense why they've got such a massive supporting. If you do want to talk more to us about the subjects, you want to get involved with it, you want to debate a little bit more, out, you're outside of the podcast, you think, oh, I enjoyed listening to that debate, weirdos. Um, we do have a Discord. Jump into the Discord. It's in the link down below. There's 140 odd people in there talking F1 every single day. Uh, very, very lovely group of people. Not seeing a single person to make me think otherwise. Get involved. Go on. Just hit the link. Nothing bad will happen. I promise. Ooh, that's dangerous. That's dangerous <laughs> to promise that. Oh, we're going to get sued. We're gonna... so Sorry. Somebody's, somebody's going like, to, I don't know, like break their finger sending a message and they're going to like sue us now. Please if that's you, um, don't do it, please. Yeah. I the late breaking podcast to you doesn't exist if that happens. The late breaking what? Never heard of it. Late taking myself away from this broadcast. That's for sure. Smooth. Smooth operator. I love it. Should we move on? Let's actually go on. a very interesting one here because this um topic idea did actually come from the discord um and apologies because i cannot remember who put this message and it almost speaks to your point of everyone speaking f1 every day which is fantastic but this comment was made a few days ago and i couldn't for the life of me find it when i was searching through earlier but regardless Sorry. whoever whoever it was thank you very much for bringing up the idea of us discussing aston martin and they're not doing very well this year so the situation they're in, they're in seventh place. Bear in mind, last year, they took McLaren to the final day of the season for third place in the championship. So they're, they're underperforming versus 2020. They're 25 points behind Alpha Tauri. 
Why has it gone so wrong, Sam? This is one of the biggest questions in Formula 1, and it's so difficult to understand why it may have gone wrong. And, you know, folks, if, you, if you're long-term listeners of the podcast, I like to associate these kind of topics with a, there's many different factors. Um, <laughs> and I think the first factor that doesn't make any sense, which is why it should be going right, is the Mercedes engine. You look at the... Um, there's obviously four teams that run the Mercedes engine, and you look at the success that two of those teams have had. Um, there are two race-winging teams now that have got Mercedes engines on one side of it, and the other one, unfortunately, is Williams, who hasn't been great as of recent, so you don't expect them to be really thriving. But the racing point, which then became Aston Martin, of course, has been... It was excellent. It was constantly up and coming. It was constantly punching above the weight that it had in terms of its budget. So why is it going wrong? Okay, I think firstly, they might be focusing on the transition. And I'm hoping that this is the case. There's been no confirmation of this, but I am hoping that they are spending their time, their engineering resource, on nailing the new regulations so that when it comes around next year, they can be an actual challenger. And I like to think that this forward thinking has been cemented by... Big Father Christmas Stroll announcing very recently that Aston Martin are going to be building a whole new HQ, new facilities, state-of-the-art funding. You know, to me, that says long-term commitment. I'm in this for a very long time. We want to win. So I like to think that, that maybe they've gone, OK, we're looking to the future. We had a good car last year. Let's try and carry on with that, but not invest too much and hope that, fingers crossed, we still get a relatively good position. And to be honest... They've done all right. Technically, they had two podiums. Of course, one got taken away due to a fuel issue, but they've technically finished on the podium twice. So, not bad going. The second thing. Last year, when they were the pink Mercedes, as it was known, um, that was exactly it. They borrowed absolutely everything they physically could from a championship-winning team, and then they got called out on it by a lot of different people. And I think that they've tried to stay away from that angle a little bit. I don't think they want to be known as the copycat team. And Aston Martin, of course, is now a, uh, a manufacturer themselves. It's not like Racing Point, who only took part, really, in Formula 1 uh, and had, obviously, junior formulas around them. But Aston Martin have a reputation on the road, in other racing series. You know, they are not just a one-off thing. So I think they wanted to go away, not get that copycat reputation, steer away a little bit from the Mercedes Avenue, build their own car. I think that has backfired a little bit. I think that everyone else has evolved and they've kind of gone, ah, we copied last year. Maybe we don't know how to transition that into the better car it is going to be the next season, which a lot of other teams have done, obviously. And then finally, they got rid of their best driver. Now, Aston Martin signed Sebastian Vettel and I think that was a great move. It makes total sense. I think getting rid of Checo at the time, silly thing to do, right? He just won a race for crying out loud. Uh, and Sebastian Vettel is going to be, you know, he's not a slouch. He's not a slouch behind the wheel. He's great at what he does. He knows cars. He knows how to develop a car. He knows how to work with a team. And he's a very positive member to have. But you've brought in a brand new driver who doesn't understand your system, your power unit. He doesn't understand how your car drives. That's a big change. Also, you've got Lance Stroll on the other side of the garage who, yeah, he's improving season on season. And I, I respect Stroll being on the grid now. He's definitely developed enough that he should be there. But he's still not the, you know... He isn't good enough to take over from where Checo was last year to pull out those performances. Sebastian Vettel is already scoring more points than Lance Stroll is in a team that Lance Stroll technically owns. So maybe that says a lot for what's going on there. So I've given you a few reasons as to why I think that maybe Aston Martin are struggling. And I'm hoping the biggest contributor to that is that they are 
banking on having a great start to the new regulations in 2022. Yeah, I I agree with you. There are a lot of different reasons at play here. There, there, there's too many to count, I would say, and I don't I don't disagree with any of the ones you've actually listed there. Uh, and I also agree with that. Hopefully, it is because they're banking on next year and they they've moved away from from this year. Obviously, they were on the back foot from the start this year because of the driver change, because of the Mercedes connection somewhat lessening, because of the low rake versus high rake debate that raged on as we went into Bahrain. Obviously, that that didn't help them or Mercedes. So, um, yeah, they, they were on the back foot from the start here. Obviously, you've also got um, the Alfa Tauri's made strides this year. Um, Ferrari have definitely made strides this year. So two teams that they finished ahead of last year have really improved this year. So it is a combination of a lot of factors. And I do think there is there is a lot about next year that, that will play into that. I agree with you that they are putting a lot of effort into the future. L- Lawrence Stroll is not there to make up the numbers. He's there to win. And he knows that there's, there's not much point p- pouring effort into this year because it would just set them off poorly on the next era, which is what they're focused on. So... If anyone had any incentive, apart from Haas maybe, to focus on next year, I mean, they're at the top of the list. And I think that's probably what they've done here. Um, again, the move to Sebastian Vettel, that doesn't make sense as a short-term deal. It only makes sense if you think they can get something from that for multiple years as well. I will say, though, despite all of that, I think too much emphasis is being placed on the car and the future. And I think the team have actually been pretty poor this year for a few reasons. I, Firstly, the gap to Alpha Tauri. I will accept that because Alpha Tauri, I'll accept it to an extent because Alpha Tauri should be ahead of Aston Martin, I think, based on the cards that they've got at their disposal. If it was two Pierre Gasly's in that Alpha Tauri, it wouldn't even be close. It would be, they'd be miles ahead. The only thing that's keeping Aston Martin in that particular fight is Yuki Tsunoda. And I believe both Aston Martin drivers are currently beating Yuki Tsunoda in the championship. So I think that's what's really keeping it alive from from their sake. Um, But they are still losing out and they haven't been able to capitalise on Yuki Tsunoda's poor performances. Um, When really you've got you've got Lance Stroll, who's got years of experience. I know Sebastian Vettel's new to the team, but he's you know, he should be able to beat a rookie Yuki Tsunoda, given the cars by more than what he is. So I give a bit of leeway to that, but not too much. Um, and you can say, well, Sebastian Vettel should have got the 18 points at Hungary. Sure, but that still leaves them seven points behind. It doesn't really change the point. They'd still be trailing just by a slightly better margin. Um, for me, the actual indication that they have been poor this year is not their comparison to sixth place Alpha Tauri. It's actually the fifth place Alpine. Now, I actually think, and um, this this might be disagreed upon, I think Alpine have not got a better car than Aston Martin. I think it's pretty much dead level. I don't think there's much in it at all. And I just think the Alpine dri- drivers have done a better job of maximising that car this year. If we think, first of all, Ocon's win, and he's had a few other performances, but it's mainly the win from Ocon's side. And it's Alonso's sheer consistency... I think he scored in potentially seven of the last eight races or something along those lines. And the one he didn't score in was Spa. So, you know, that heavy asterisks on that one. Um, so 
really you've got you've got Alonso who is consistently getting the most out of that car. In qualifying, there, there generally isn't much between them. Um, there have been a couple of poor races from, from Aston Martin's side, but on an average weekend, there isn't too much that separates the, the two teams there. And I just think that Alpine have done a better job. I, I think Ocon and Alonso have done better than, than Stroll and, and, and Vettel. Stroll, for me, hasn't done much different this year than what he did last year. I, I don't really see much of an improvement. He's, he's been pretty average. He's, he's fine, but he's no better than fine. And he rarely shows great. Sebastian Vettel's had a few standout performances. You know, Baku, um, Monaco was probably, even though it wasn't his best result, it might have been his best performance of the year. But even they have been few and far between. And yeah, you said it, Sam. If, if you had to choose between 2020 Perez and 2021 Vettel, it ain't even close who, you, who you're taking. So um, fingers crossed from their side that they get this together next season. I, at least I don't think it's going to matter too much. This this year, I think, is a bit of a write-off now. They might get sick from Alpha Tauri if, if Yuki Tsunoda keeps on making these errors, but I think that will be the limit. So the point you've made there, after all that, is that Fernando Alonso is still the two-time world champ god, is what you're saying. I mean, this, this might be a discussion for another time to, to fully go into this, but... Alonso has still got a lot to offer F1. I, when Alonso came back, I was very nervous because as a podcast, we are very big Fernando Alonso fans. We, we love a bit of Fernando, uh, both by ABBA and the racing driver themselves. Um, and when he, you know it was announced that he was actually returning, it could have easily have gone one of two ways. But to see... Fernando, I don't, I don't think he's a hundred percent, you know, the Fernando that was maybe in twenty twelve or you know those those kind of regions. But good lord, he's still got so much in him that I think some of the current F one grid will never even get close to even Fernando now. The ability that that man has, the you know, the move around the outside of Zanvor is a prime example. He just knows how to pull off these incredible moments, and he does it almost on a weekly basis. That man is so good, and. It's a shame he burns the bridges because I think that realistically a top team could still could still happily snap him up. Because I agree, I think that Alpine is probably no better than that Aston Martin. Uh, but I think Alonso and Ocon's wing are the difference. I'll, I'll say this about Alonso, and this is going to sound like the weirdest compliment in the world, but I actually think he's lost a, quite a lot of pace. I, I don't think he's I don't think he's as quick as he used to be. But the fact that he is still as good as he is just proves what a talented driver... I, pure pace, I think he's fine, for, as pure pace-wise, but I don't think there's much difference between him and Ocon, pure pace. I, I think they're pretty yeah, much was, 50-50. Wasn't it incredible hearing into his... And we're going well off topic now, but it wasn't it incredible hearing into the mindset of when Ocon was complaining about being stuck behind Alonso and to hear how intentional the pace was from Alonso. That he's like... If he does the same thing, we'll be well up the field. I know I'm going slow. I'm doing it for an exact reason. And the payout was ridiculous. There was like three places between them at the end. Um, the man is a strategic genius. That's the thing. Like he, He's just smarter than the other people. Not to say the others are all dummies, but he's smarter than the rest of them, or most of them. Yeah. He just he knows what yeah. he's doing. And he can, like I say, I, think, I don't think the pace is 100% there anymore, but he can, he can adjust to it. And that's what amazing good, stuff. That's right, what a good veteran does. We've got a uh, another topic, haven't we, Benjamin? Fill in the blank makes a return. Oh, we've got we've got a little theme for this, haven't we? Oh, jeez, have we? 
Yeah, we do. Let me have a look. Let me have a look. Here we go. See if um, we can find it, folks. I, I tell you what, I don't, I don't have it on it. He's lost it. He's lost it. I'll do it a cappella, folks, for you this time around. It, it, it simply goes. F1, fill in the... Who's Phil? That, that's literally it. That's why we haven't that's uploaded it, it because it is our worst jingle by an absolute <laughs> mile. <laughs> Folks, if you want to give some inspiration on uh, a new fill-in-the-blank jingle, again, uh, head over to Discord. Or, if you want to support the podcast, and you are very, very lovely, uh, Patreon, down in the description. We've got an event coming up, which we'll talk about at the end of the podcast. I mean, am I allowed to gunge our current fill in the blank theme you know what yes gunge it come on Dave come on down I mean he almost wasn't ready this week we, we didn't have pumped the brakes on so he wasn't he, he's not at my door waiting to come in waiting to do the gunging but he, he's um He's rung out in his little towel, hasn't he, that he was in yeah. the shower. Oh, hold on. I've got a gun someone. He loves it, though. He loves it. Big smile on his face. Cheers, Dave. Big big thanks. Um, big daddy Dave. <laughs> three sentences for fill in the blank. Um, it's it's fairly self-explanatory, this one. Um, we just have to fill in the blank with whatever word or number or whatever feels appropriate. So, Sam, kick off with you. Verstappen should feel blank heading into the rest of this season. Confident. I'm going to go with Max Verstappen despite it being a little bit bumpy despite there being a few moments I believe has weathered the majority of the storm I think if he can somehow get through the Russia moment which I think is the final big test for Red Bull then I think he can feel confident that there is every chance that he could go on and win this championship especially in a Red Bull which I believe is the best car on the grid not by a lot but I do think it is the better car of the two. So for me, the Stappen should feel confident heading into the rest of the season. Go, it's like a spelling bee. Use it in a sentence. Confident. K O R. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to go down a similar path. I'll, I'll choose a different word. The Stappen should feel buoyed heading into Ooh. the rest of the season um, for very similar reasons. I, I can't express enough. Verstappen's DNF at Italy might have been the best DNF we've seen yep. in Formula One, which sounds weird, but that was that was Mercedes to win. That was a Mercedes 1-2 in the making if they nailed that weekend, with Verstappen probably struggling to third versus the McLaren. So that, that wasn't a guarantee. If we're looking at pure pace, that was probably how the weekend should have gone. That was a Mercedes yeah. track. It historically been a Mercedes track. And he, yeah, he weathered that storm. And a nil-nil at Monza was a win for Verstappen um, because there are going to be plenty more circuits coming up that are much more favourable to Verstappen compared to Mercedes. You could almost put that in with Spa as well. Obviously, he, he won half points at Spa. If that's dry... It might well have gone similar to how we saw in Monza practice, where Mercedes run away with it. Again, that didn't happen. So he should feel he should feel confident. He should feel buoyed. Yeah, buoyed. Thank you for that. It's the only reason I picked that word. Um, Great one. Botties making an appearance. Come on, come on, bot, bot. Valtteri Bottas. 
has a blank percent chance of winning at Sochi. Of course, it's been a circuit where he has done quite well in the past. Yeah, the Palace of Botties. Uh, lots of Botties, please. I'm all aboard the Botty train. As much as I've made the prediction that he will never win again, I, you know, come on, the Botties. The meme that he produced at Monza, by the way, is, is one of the most spectacular Formula One memes we've we've seen in a long time. Um, so Botties has a fifty percent chance. Fifty. Fifty. Five. Oh. Yeah, that's right, folks. The big figgy figgy. Uh, I'll give a little explanation as to why. Um, so, you know, Sochi is known globally as the Palace of Botties for a reason. Just like um, Mongsa is the Temple of Speed, Sochi is the Palace of Botties. Because the man flies around um, the Olympic Stadium of Sochi. It just works well for him. He's very comfortable on a track that has zero personality to it. Oh, um, oh Sam. Sorry. Sam. Sorry. Oops. I dropped that one in there. Um, yeah, so, you know, Bossies of the Black Sea. Oh, that sounds like a good book or like an album. Um, anyway, he's quick round there, right? He's quick round there. And he's also had his contract signed by Alphanauer. So, Bossies is driving carefree. He hasn't really got the full commitment to Mercedes. So, if I think, you know, I think if we get to kind of 10%, 20% left of the race, and I do think Mercedes will... Will this is the last one, and they will comfortably lead the way, especially with Verstappen having that three-place grid penalty now. Um, if Perez is fast, if the Maccas are fast, let's say Ferrari go well here, it's possible. Uh, I think Verstappen's going to have to cut through some traffic, means that Bottas and Hamilton, if all things go to plan, will run away with it. But if we're about 15-20% left of the race, if Bottas is in front, do I think that Bottas is actually going to listen to Team Morgans this time? And this is where I think the 50-50 comes into it. I think it is a snap decision on if Bottas goes yep I understand Hamilton I want I want my pal Hamilton to win the championship or lead the championship or does he go I'm doing everything I need for the team I've got a dedication to the team to the end of the season and I want a win why would I not want a win to prove Sam wrong that's why I don't want a win I want to make sure that Sam's right on every occasion but in seriousness it makes a lot of sense for Bottas to go, I'm taking this victory if I'm leading with kind of 10, 15 laps to go and Hamilton's the only car near me. Uh, so that's why I think it's 50-50. I think the only deciding factor is if Bottas, who I think could definitely be leading in this race, decides to listen to team orders. I mean, we know Bottas is a big fan of the podcast, has been for a while, so I'm sure that motivation is definitely uh, a factor. So you Come on, Bottas. You're, you're giving it a 50% chance he'll win. Um, I see your 50%, yeah. you massive Bottas fan, and I am going to go down yep. from that. Um, I'm, oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower lower the tone. I'm going to go back down to 30% chance that Bottas... That's still good. Uh, still pretty good, yeah. Um, so first of all, yeah, you've got... It's a good track for him. So I think if you take out... So Max Verstappen could still do pretty well, but given that he's got a three-place group penalty, there is a pretty good chance that he takes a new power unit and decides to start at the back or very near the back. So that's going to limit his chances of potentially winning this race, which could see it as a direct fight between Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. Now, I would say that in in a normal fight between Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, I would get Hamilton about a 75% chance of winning. However, because this is Sochi, I'll lower that down to about a 60% chance that Hamilton would beat Bottas at Russia, giving Bottas the 40%. 
Um, but then I'm also going to take another 5 or 10% off that because you can't completely discount crazy things happening. You can't discount Verstappen having a crazy comeback. You can't discount Perez completely either. So I, I think there are, it's not just a straight up Mercedes fight in this. So I'm going to, I'm going to reduce it down to 30%, but I would say overall, that's, that's a higher percentage than it is for most of the season, if not higher than any race so far this season. I completely agree. Uh, there will not be a single other race on the entire calendar where Bottas will even come close to a 50-50 chance of winning uh, for my predictions. So, soaking up, Bottas. Enjoy it while it's there. Um, I am worried, though, because, as you know, you have said he will never win a race again, um, which does extend further on this season, but this season is probably going to be his best chance to win another race. We're, we're a yep. lot of races in now. If he doesn't win at Sochi... At that point, I start to get worried. If you imagine the scenes, right? Let's say it gets to 2024, 2025, and Bottas is thinking, oh, I'm on my last legs a little bit here. I'm going to retire. And then we get like a hungry situation, a bowling strike. But ironically, Bottas isn't the bowler. And like four or five races for the end of his career, Bottas wins in like the imagine? seventh best car. I will fly me to the country and I'll give him the trophy. Because at that point, I'll, yeah. Fair play to you, mate. But um, unfortunately, this season, this is the last chance where I think it could happen. All right, last fill in the blank. Um, We've already discussed uh, a few names that might appear in this topic, to be honest. But the last one is the F2 driver with the most potential to be a world champion is blank. Um, I've already said the name. And I think that and I'm going to go down the route of all of these drivers get a fair simple route to F1. I feel like that's the most simple way of deciding this because otherwise you could look at, you know, easy driver moves, young driver programs. But if I'm just going to go in, they're great drivers, they get a chance in F1 and at some point they will win a championship. Um, Oscar Piastri is by far, for me, the biggest shout. The man, you know, has done so well, so ridiculously well. Um, and I was pretty shocked at how well he's done. I mean, I always knew he was very good, but I wasn't expecting such a a bounce over most of the field. Of course, Guang Yuzhou is the only person that is directly competitive with him at the moment in the points. Um, Schwarzman is probably still in the mix a bit. But, considering that Guang Yuzhou has been there for a couple of seasons now, hasn't won it, and this man's come up and gone, I'm going to sit at the top now. I was pretty impressed. The same, the, other, the only other option for me is Liam Lawson. I think that Liam Lawson could also could be a bit of an underdog and could achieve something quite interesting in the long run. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's the, the boys from Down Under, obviously not from the same place. Don't crucify me, people on the other hemisphere. Um, Piastri, for me, is the uh, the big shout. Uh, for me, there are two standout talents in Formula 2 that I think have world-class potential. They are Oscar Piastri and Theo Porcher. I don't think there are any other drivers that I think will get to that level. I think Guan Yu Zhou has the potential to be solid in Formula 1. I would say the same for a few other drivers as well. Liam Lawson, who you've already mentioned. Um, Christian Lungard's a bit of a funny one. Um, I think he's actually got perhaps just as much potential as the world champions, but he never seems to quite be able to, to cultivate it. Um, so I, I will limit it down to those two names, Piastri and Porcher. Uh, but I'm actually going to go for the other one. I'm going to go for Theo Porcher as the biggest potential for being a Formula One world champion. First of all, can we bear in mind, he turned 18 a month ago. It's terrifying. The, the guy, just to put this into perspective, he was, he has not been alive for the majority of Michael Schumacher's wins. 
for the championship wins. Born in August 03. That's terrifying. Anyway, yeah. he's young. That's the point. And he's he, he's already had so much success. 2018, first time of asking, wins at F4 level. Does a different F4 championship in 2019, wins that one as well. First attempt at Formula 3, which he would have started at the age of 16, finished second, and then moves up to Formula 2 at the age of 17, and he's currently, I think, fifth in the championship and is doing a great job. So, for me, just based on... He's got a couple years on Piastri, who, again, I think Piastri is a great talent. I don't, don't disagree with that answer, but poor share for me, just based on what he's done in such a limited amount of time, frightening. You know, someone that I, a little while ago, was expecting to see big things of, and I think due to sponsorship, I think due to cost, due to just career moves, it hasn't ever worked out for, was, um, was Sargent, who was obviously in that fight for that F3 title. Um, and never got an F2 drive. It just never materialised. And I think maybe if he had got the move up, then maybe that could have been another game. That, but I think, unfortunately for him, time is possibly slipping away, which is a, a big shame for him. Um, but yeah, that would have been another game that uh, maybe a couple of seasons ago, if we'd been looking at the junior formulas, I would have possibly put down. Yeah, I I think it's fair. I always, um, with he was with Prima, obviously, in Formula 3, and I always put a bit of a... Uh, I always have a bit of a suspicious look um, because Prima tend to do very well in Formula 3 regardless of who they've got as their drivers. So I always put a bit of a, eh, how good are you really um, kind of face on. But yes, I think he he is definitely, definitely talented. The other person I would put in that mix who isn't actually being discussed for a seat as much as I thought a year ago, he would be at this point, Robert Schwartzman. Um, yeah, that, yeah, correct. I thought he'd kick on more this year. I thought Robert Schwartzman was going to absolutely dominate this season of F2. I thought that he was get, he was already spectacular last year, and I thought that's scary. You know, a bit like the conversations we're having with Piastri and uh, Porsche. I thought that's scary. He's that good, um, and he's just like he's been very good. There's no denying he's still been very good. He's I think third overall at the moment, and he is the person that probably could challenge the top two. Um, but yeah, surprising that he isn't closer. Yeah, I'm surprised he isn't leading the, the championship. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, I mean, he's absolutely fine. Um, and he might well make it to Formula 1. But I thought there'd be a just a tad more this year. But yeah, yeah. don't don't usually get too much uh, junior category talk. But, but there you have it, folks. We dig some. I know it's been asked for a couple of times in the Discord. We spoke, We, we do pay attention to the lower the lower regions. No, that's the, the lower Look, formulas. Let's go with lower formulas. That's definitely the right word. Um, use that one. <laughs> so that, it's a bit awkward. Yeah, use that one. Um, also, F2, F3, change up your calendars. Don't be an idiot. Go, oh, go, back, to two, go back to two races a weekend. Come on, man. I... You, you've ruined it. Anyway, that's, uh, that's enough ranting for, for one evening, I think. Um, good news is, ladies and gents, we will be back to 3LB Strong next week um, for the preview of Sochi. So, good news all round. The three-podcast drought of a, of a full lb trio uh that will come to an end now but sam you wanted to mention the patreon before we go uh, and then just get us out of here yeah so um we've got quite a few patreon members again those who have already subscribed to that a massive thank you for your support you don't realize one what it means to us and two what it allows us to do 
Uh, it is incredible. So if you do want to join that, we've got a lot of benefits. There's a link in the description. Please go and check out those benefits for a couple of different tiers. Uh, the first Patreon event is happening this weekend. We thought, well, it's not a race weekend, but in LB world, we're going to make it a race weekend. So what's happening? We will be doing a Patreon-only watch-along of the 2012 Brazilian title showdown. Uh, one of the greatest races, if not arguably the greatest race of all time um, in Formula 1. Uh, if you haven't seen it, don't spoil it. Join the Patreon. Come and join us. It's going to be mega. Um, you know, the Titans, Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso, amongst with so many other legends of Formula 1, the likes of Lewis Hamilton, of course, on the grid at that point, Jensen Button, many, many others. Go heads ahead, and it is spectacular. It's a spectacular watch. Don't miss out on it. Come and give it a go. You can always unsubscribe, uh, but we would massively appreciate your support, and it is going to happen. I believe, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, 7pm UK time on the Sunday, um, and we'll be sending out the links to those involved in the Patreon uh, so you won't miss out don't worry um, we'd love to see you there there's so many of you that listen to the podcast we'd love to see a few more of you there thank you so much if you've enjoyed any of the topics and want to talk about it more get in the discord and as Ben said we're going to be back for the Sochi preview where Botties comes home could it happen folks could it prove me wrong we'll have to see uh, in the meantime I've been Samuelson and I've been Ben Hocking and remember keep breaking late Princess of Botties land next week Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.